Good morning once again. Let's take our Bibles out. If you have a copy of Scripture, we're going to once again be in the New Testament book of Titus. So Titus, if you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, Titus is almost toward the very end of your Bible, as you can see in mine. Uh, Revelation is the last book of your Bibles. You can find that pretty easily. If you start flipping backwards from Revelation, you'll eventually pass a larger book named Hebrews and then come to, pretty close before that, the small book of Titus. Just three chapters, so don't miss it. Today's lesson, today's sermon from God's Word, is entitled, Remember Where You Came From and How You Got Here. Remember where you came from and how you got here. Now, as we get into this, let me ask you, and kids, I'm asking you guys too, did any of you guys watch basketball? Any of you guys like basketball? Basketball is my absolute favorite sport. But if, if you watch it, do you have a favorite player? Who's your favorite player? Some of you got favorite players. I know you do. Some of you know my favorite player. But you might not know my first favorite player. The very first favorite player that I ever had, the very first favorite athlete of any kind that I had, was a guy by the name of Larry Bird. Kids, if you've never seen Larry Bird, go home and make your parents let you watch YouTube videos of Larry Bird today. Okay? This is important. Now, in 1986, that was one year after I was born, Larry Bird was on top of the world. The Boston Celtics just finished one of the greatest seasons in NBA history, 1986. Look it up. Larry Bird, that year, won his third straight MVP of the NBA. NBA MVP, three straight years. Okay? But Larry Bird was the kind of guy who never forgot where he came from. He never forgot where he came from or how he got to where he was. In the championship parade that they had in Boston, there's a big parade on the streets. Hundreds and thousands of people were out there. And Larry Bird gives a speech over a microphone sound system, and he said, there's only one place I'd rather be. He said, French Lick. French Lick, Indiana. A little bitty town in Indiana. That's where Larry Bird grew up. And that's where he learned all about hard work especially from his dad. Larry Bird's dad worked construction. And Larry Bird said he can remember very vividly his dad going to work hurt over and over again because if they pay you to go to work, you got to go to work. He said he could remember his dad waking him up early one week and every day that week Larry had to help his dad put a boot on because his dad broke his ankle and he was going to work every day, working construction with a broken ankle He'd come home, he'd suffer all night, and he'd go back and he'd do it again the next day to earn a paycheck for his family. In fact, when Larry Bird was 18 years old, all the colleges wanted him to come play at their college. UK wanted Larry Bird to come play. UK, he didn't come for interesting reasons. You can look that up. Indiana University and Bobby Knight wanted Larry Bird to come play there. Dean Smith in North Carolina wanted Larry Bird to come play there. But when Larry was 18, instead of making all these trips to all these different colleges and being wined and dined and treated like, like royalty, he spent the summer working for the street department as a garbage man, cleaning the streets. And he said he never forgot the guys who gave, them, or gave him the opportunity to have that job. That's how he puts it today even. They gave him an opportunity to have that job. And he never forgot how hard those guys worked. Listen to this. In 1985, after Larry Bird won his second MVP of the NBA, 
He's a multimillionaire. His mom needed her driveway redone. Larry did it himself. He said he couldn't understand why you would pay somebody to do that for your mom. And so he's breaking up concrete, shoveling gravel, laying down blacktop, and that's how he actually hurt his back initially, an injury that would eventually lead him to retire earlier than he should have in 1992 and cause John Davis to cry. Bob Wolf tells a story of Larry Bird. This is the last one I'll give you. Bob Wolf was handling all of Larry Bird's PR back in the day. And in the summer of 1986, he's trying to get a hold of Larry Bird. He couldn't find him. Finally, he tracked him down. Larry Bird was shooting basketball at a boys' club in Terre Haute, Indiana. And someone else answers the phone, and Mr. Wolf says, I need to speak to Larry. It's important. Larry Bird answers the phone. He says, what? And Mr. Wolf says, hey, Larry, the, the president of Harvard University called, and he wants to know if you'd be kind enough to address the freshman class on the values of having a college education. Only take 10 to 15 minutes. And Larry says, no. And then he says, okay, well, Sports Illustrated called, and they want to put you on the cover of Sports Illustrated and do a story on you, and they just need some time for pictures and an interview. And he said, no. And then he said, okay, well, Life Magazine called, and they want to do a 10-page spread on you. You wouldn't even have to interview, just pictures. And he said, no. And then he said, Mr. Wolf, I thought you said this call was important. That's the kind of guy Larry Bird was. He never forgot where he came from, and he never forgot how he got there. And that's the two things that our text is telling us to, to remember today. Let's read our text. It's Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 7, okay? Titus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, two things Paul's telling us in our text today. Remember where you came from and remember how you got here. Let's go over each one of those. Number one, Paul is saying, remember where you came from. If you're a Christian today, if you've given your life to Jesus already, never forget what God saved you from. Look at verse 3 one more time with me. Verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were once disobedient. We were once slaves to sin, right? We were once those things. Even if you're not that now, you once were. If you are a Christian today, never forget that you were once an enemy of God. Never forget you were once a slave to sin. You can never feel superior about where you are now because God saved you out of that by His grace. Now, for some of you, this might be easy. 
For some of you, you might be sitting there saying, I remember living a life of sin. I remember God saving me out of it. And I, I am so thankful that the mercy of God found me. I remember it. Some of you, it might be easy like that. But for others, if you're anything like me, you might be sitting there saying, I grew up in a Christian home. And I, I came to Christ at an early age. I didn't really live a life of rebellion. So, so how do I remember what God saved me from? Well, let me take everyone on a mental journey for a second. Let me take everyone on a mental journey. Go with me here in your minds. Let's start back with when you were a kid. Some of you are farther away from this than others. But when you were a kid, think back. Think of all the ways you disobeyed parents and teachers. Think about the times you lied. Think about your selfishness. How many years spent in complete selfishness? Now move on to your teenage years, for those of you who have been through those before. As a teenager, think about the sinful desires and the way that you let them drive you. Think about your foolishness. Think about your materialism. Think about the things that you did that you are now ashamed of. Think about all the things that were more important than God in your life. And now, move a little bit farther into adulthood for those of us who have experienced that. Think about the moments of deceit. Think about the times where you threw aside your integrity for temporary gain. Think about your pleasure-seeking. Think about the sins of your heart and your mind, not just the sins of your hands and your actions, but thoughts and feelings and desires of the heart. Envy, jealousy, bitterness, hatred, lust, pride. You see, no one is blameless. Every single one of us has a record that is stained with sin. Paul says it in Romans 3 like this, there's no one who does good, no, not one. And so we've got to remember, every single one of us, whether we lived a life of complete rebellion or we came to Christ at an early age in a Christian home, every one of us can remember what it was like and what God saved us from. And it's important that we do because remembering where we came from keeps us humble, right? Remembering where we came from keeps us humble. When you see unbelievers in their sin, what thoughts come into your mind? Think about that with me for a second. When you see people in sin, when you see unbelievers living ungodly lives, what feelings well up inside you? Is it, thank God I'm not like that? Or is it, if it weren't for God's mercy, I would be like that? Do you see the, the radical difference? Instead of thinking, I can't believe they live like that, think, without Jesus, I would be living like that. God help them to find Jesus. Instead of thinking, I can't believe that person just treated me like that, instead of that, think, no, I can believe that human beings could treat each other like that because I've treated people like that. I've treated God like that. And God treated me with mercy 
and compassion and patience, shouldn't I be showing mercy and compassion and patience to that person? Remembering where you came from keeps you humble and it keeps you from sinful attitudes. It's the difference between bitterness and forgiveness. It's the difference between pride and humility. It's the difference between judgmentalism and compassion. Right? Remembering where we came from. Never forget. Look at verse 2 with me in your Bibles one more time. Verse 2. Notice how in verse 2 Paul tells us, Don't speak evil of anyone. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all people. How do you do that? How can you do that? How can you be gentle to everyone and never speak evil of anyone? By remembering how you used to be in the same boat. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, how can you do that? For, F-O-R, that little word that has big significance, it starts out with for, for we ourselves were once that way. Right? That's how you can keep from speaking evil of anyone. That's how you can be gentle and compassionate and show courtesy toward everyone by remembering that you yourselves were once that way. And if you can remember that, then it'll keep you from talking like that about others and judging others like that. It'll help us show compassion instead of judgmentalism. Now, that was remember where you came from. Okay, remember where you came from. Kids, if Columbia, Kentucky is your home, never forget where you grew up. Right? Never forget, no matter where you go, no matter how far away you might move when you get into college or you become an adult and maybe you get married and get a job and you move somewhere far away, never forget your home. Never forget where you grew up. But not only that, Paul tells us, remember how you got where you are. Let's all never forget how we got here if we're Christians this morning. If you're a Christian. Perhaps not everybody in here is a Christian. But if you've given your life to Jesus, never forget how you got here. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, Paul tells us, God saved us. He saved us. Not because of works that we've done in righteousness, but because of His mercy. God saved us by His mercy, not because of your own good works. You remember how we've said in the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, Titus is a book that's all about good works. That's the theme of the book of Titus, right? Good works. And so... Over and over again, Paul's been telling us in the book of Titus, you've got to have good works if you're a Christian. Your life has to produce good works if you're going to call yourself a Christian. But guess what? You can't be saved by those good works. Your good works can never buy your ticket into heaven. You can't make God save you by doing enough good deeds. You can't save yourself. God must save you. You can't earn His salvation. He gives it to us as a free gift. That's what Adam was talking about earlier. It's a gift. We are saved because of God's mercy. And so if you're saved today, never forget how you got here. It's the mercy of God. Do you remember in Jesus' life how Jesus told a story about a king who was settling accounts with his servants? And that king, as he goes to settle accounts, he finds one of his servants owes him so much money he could never repay it. One servant owes the king 20 years worth of wages. If he worked for 20 years and saved every penny, 
Maybe he could pay off the debt. That's how much he owes the king. And the king says, because of that debt, that man needs to be sold, he and all his family and all his possessions, to pay off the debt. And the man comes before the king. And he says, please, I can't pay this. My, my family's going to be sold. Everything I have is going to be taken from me. I can't pay this. Please have mercy on me. And guess what the king does? He actually has mercy on the man. He says, okay, I'm going to give you mercy. I forgive you of the entire debt. You're free. That's an amazing act of compassion, right? But what does that servant turn around and do? Jesus says that servant goes out and he finds a man who owes him one day's worth of wages. One day's worth. And he finds that man and he grabs him by the neck and he begins to shake him and choke him and say, pay me what you owe me right now. Other people see what's going on and they run and they tell the king. Because they know this man was forgiven. And now he's going out and doing this. They tell the king. The king brings the man back into his presence. And in his anger he says, I forgave you of that huge debt. And you go out and you treat somebody else who owes you one day's worth of wages like that? And because you forgot how you got to where you were, you're going to be thrown in jail for the rest of your life until that debt can be paid off. See, that servant forgot how he got there. And it's so important that we, as Christians, never forget how we got to where we are. Now this is really important, not just for our, our humility that we talked about earlier, not just for the way that we think about others, it's important for the way that we share the gospel, for the way that we evangelize, the way that we talk to people about Jesus who don't know Him. Because if you think that God saved you because you are good, then your message to other people is going to be something like this. Shape up. Get it together. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't turn your life around, you never make it to heaven. Get it together. Shape up. Be a good person. Right? But, think of the difference it makes when you know you didn't deserve this. You could never earn it. It's only by the mercy of God that you're saved. If that's what you think, the message changes to something like this. This is the most wonderful news in the world. The gift is free. I can hardly believe it. Let me, let me show you. You can have it too. If God can save me, He can save anybody. Do you see how there, there's a world of difference between those two messages? When an unbeliever meets you, do they encounter someone who feels like they're better than the rest of the world? Or someone who has been humbled by the grace of God? Is our message to the world, come join us, the good people, and you can learn how to be good? Or is it, if God can save us, He can save anybody? I mean, really, think about it, you guys. If God can save us, He can save anybody. That's the message. The message of Christianity is not God rewards good people. The message of Christianity is God saves bad people. That's Christianity. It's not God rewards good people. It's God saves bad people. See, the culture is out there right now trying as hard as they can to divide the world in, in between good people and bad people. The culture is trying to divide the world up. Good people and bad people. And everybody's using a different standard. 
And if you're on the good side of whoever's standard is dividing it up, if you're on the good side, well, then you get praised. But if you're on the bad side, you're going to get shamed, and everything you've ever been a part of is going to get canceled right now. Right? But the gospel doesn't do it like that. The gospel divides the world up into bad people and Jesus. The gospel divides it up into bad people and Jesus. And so are you going to come to Jesus as someone who is an enemy of God, as someone who is a slave to their sin, who needs to be saved? Or have you already done so? But do you remember that you are only saved by the grace and the mercy of God? Never forget how you got here. In Romans 3, 27-28, Paul says, What becomes then of our boasting? If God saved us like this, what becomes of our boasting, our bragging, our showing off? He says, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What's Paul saying? He's saying, if God saved us in this way, none of us can brag about it. None of us can boast about it. In fact, the only thing that you can boast or brag about is how big and powerful God's mercy is because He saved even you. The only thing you can brag or boast about is how much Jesus must have had to suffer on the cross. Because I know my sin. I know all of the evil things I've ever done or thought. Jesus must have had to suffer a whole bunch if anybody else out there is anything like me, and God could save me, that's the only thing we can brag about is how much Jesus suffered, the strength that He had to endure it and save us, the mercy and the love of God, how strong must it be to save even me? And so in Ephesians, Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Now, finally, look at verse 5 with me. At the end of verse 5, Paul says, God saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration. What does that sound like? What does that sound like, the washing of regeneration? Regeneration is just a fancy word for being made new. When were we washed and made new? When we got baptized. It's our baptism, right? When someone is baptized, the New Testament tells us that is the time at which God washes away their sins. When we're baptized, the New Testament tells us explicitly this is the time at which God washes away their sins. So, for example, when Paul was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, remember? And he's waiting for Ananias to come and help him. The Lord said, wait there, Ananias is going to come help you. Ananias comes and heals Paul's blindness, and then Ananias says this to Paul in Acts twenty-two sixteen, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Listen to the way he says it. Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. You wash away your sins as you are baptized. That's when God washes away your sins. Peter says the same thing in Acts two thirty-eight. When people call out to Peter after he's preached a sermon, they're like, Peter, what, what should we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't get past the sentence structure there. You can't get past the grammar. He says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the time at which God saves us, the time at which God forgives us of our sins. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, John. Baptism's a work, isn't it? And we're not saved by works. So how can you say that's when God saves us? How can you say someone needs to be baptized to be saved? We're not saved by works, and baptism's a work. My answer to that is, baptism is not a work. Baptism is not a work that saves you. Two reasons on that. Number one, baptism is not a work that you do. It's a work that is done to you, right? Baptism's not something that you do. You submit to it. Do you baptize yourself? No, somebody else baptizes you. Do you wash away your sins? Do you forgive yourself? Do you give yourself the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, God does that to you. Baptism is not a work that you do. Baptism is a work that is done to you. But not only that, baptism is not earning your salvation. Baptism is just one of the conditions that we have to meet to receive God's free gift of salvation. God's free gift of salvation has conditions to it. Like, for instance, if you want to be saved, you have to trust in Christ. And that's something that we do, but no one would argue because of that we're all of a sudden saved by our works, right? Or if you want to become a Christian, if you want to be saved, you have to repent of your sins, right? You have to turn away from your sins. Almost every Christian church denomination or anything like that would, would agree with that. You've got to repent. But just because you have to repent, does that mean all of a sudden we're saved by works? We're saved by what we do? No. It's just meeting a condition for God's free gift. Baptism is the same. I'll give you an illustration to help you think about it. Some of you have heard me give this illustration before, but what if I was to give you free tickets to a UK basketball game? Right? What a wonderful gift. Well, some of you might think that's a wonderful gift, but free tickets to a UK basketball game. Right? I'm giving it to you for free. And I say, you just got to go pick them up at the will call office at Rupp Arena. Okay? Well, you have to meet certain conditions to receive that free gift, right? You've got to travel to Lexington on game day. You've got to show up at the right time. You've got to go to the will call office and present whatever information that they need so that they can say, yes, these tickets are yours. But if you did that, you got those tickets, would you then turn around to everybody around you and say, I earned these. I earned these tickets. I earned them. No, absolutely not. They were given to you. I gave them to you as a gift. You can't say you earned them. It's a free gift. You just met the conditions, right? Baptism's the same. Salvation has conditions. The whole world's not going to be saved. God doesn't just give it out to every single person. We're not universalists here. It has conditions. And one of them, among others, is baptism. Right? So baptism is not saved by works. You're washed. The washing of regeneration here, it says. In 1 Peter 3, chapter 21, Peter says, Baptism now saves you. Do you know it says that in the Bible? It actually says that. Baptism now saves you. But it says, not the, not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's not the water that does it. It's not washing yourself clean on the outside. It's what God is doing to you on the inside as you are baptized. Do you guys know that, that, that baptism that we have in the sanctuary? The water in there is not magical. Do you guys know that? It's not magic water. Right? It's just water. 
Sometimes it's yucky water if we don't clean it out every so often. And one time, I was at a, a, a mission trip, and we were doing a vacation Bible school for a little bitty church in Danville, Virginia. And our youth minister was trying to hang a banner over the baptistry, and he slipped, and he fell into the baptistry with his clothes on, completely immersed. Right? And one of the younger kids in the youth group walks up to me, and they said, John, did, did he just get rebaptized? And I said, no, he just fell in the water. Right? He didn't get rebaptized. Baptism is about what's going on in your heart as you appeal to God for salvation. And you submit to the conditions that he has set forth to receive his free gift. And after that, it says, the Holy Spirit renews us. There at the end of verse 5, it's renewal of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you get baptized, God sends the Holy Spirit to live in your life forever. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to walk with you day by day, to give you power and to renew you, to make you new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And so, this morning I ask, are you a Christian? Have you given your life to Jesus yet? If you have, never forget where you came from and how you got here. If you haven't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, if you don't know for sure where you would go if Jesus returned today or if God decided your life was to end today, don't wait. Don't put it off until it's too late. There will come a day where you cannot follow Christ anymore. You cannot decide to follow Christ anymore. There's going to come a day. C.S. Lewis said it like this, die now before you die, because after you die, there won't be another chance to die. Die to yourself now. Give your life to Jesus now, because if you don't, it might come a day where it's too late. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word to us. I pray that you would pierce our hearts through with it. I pray that you would cut us deep with your word and that we would feel it. I pray that you would convict us of sin. I pray that you would help us to remember where we came from and how we got here. I pray that if there are those here today or listening to this, that have not yet given their lives to Jesus, I pray that you would make them uneasy. That you would give them a burden that would not lift until they come and get right with you by putting their faith in Jesus. God, help us to feel the weight of this word to us in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.